we look into the 24th chapter of Luke, we see the story of the resurrection. And what's already happened is Christ, of course, has been crucified. He's been put in the tomb. It's now Sunday, so to speak. And the ladies have gone to the tomb to anoint his body with herbs and perfumes. And he's not there. And so you have these disciples on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus encounters them. I want you to think about your journey we talk a lot about journeys here at First Baptist Church, and one of the reasons we do that, or that I do that, is because we're all on a journey. Um, and some of us, uh, we're all at different parts in this journey. Uh, some of us are, have taken a tempting parking place along the roadside, uh, and we're, we're kind of taking a moment and, and basking in the moment. Others of us are in the midst of a valley uh, in the journey. Some others of us are perhaps uh, on an incline approaching that mountaintop experience. Some of us may have plateaued, and we're just kind of even keel. We're going through the motions or whatnot, and it really doesn't matter uh, all too much about where you are on the journey as long as you know who's on the journey with you. Um, and so this morning, one of the things I want you, as we, we look at the passage together, and as we think about some scriptural truths to apply to our journey, uh, I want you to think about a time that has been difficult for you. Uh, Get the, get the time, the, uh, whatever that, that time was, whatever that event was, whatever that relationship was or broken relationship, whatever it might be, get that and fixate that in your mind as we start today. For me, um, it was about 20 years ago, 22, 23 years ago, and I had gotten the point, um, and I, I'd shared, I shared some of this on Wednesday evening, I think, in, my, in a small group that I was leading, that, uh, you know, I've, I've always been raised in the church. Uh, I was taken, uh, you know, I'm 39 years old. I'll be 40 uh, this year. I'm old. Uh, 40 this year. I'm looking to draw Social Security. I think it'll be $1.32 a month uh, at this point. Uh, but I'll be 40 this year. And, um, you know, in that, in that 40 years, I've been taken to church like 41, okay? Uh, from the time I was conceived, uh, I was in church every single Sunday. And I have seen the good, I have seen the bad, and I have seen the ugly that church can be. Um, and, uh, you know, both from a lay perspective and being on staff. You know, I used to think, gosh, being on staff would be so easy. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, you're around fun people all the time, and then you're around Christians. Uh, and then I got on staff uh, at a church, and then I realized, you know what? Christians, are, I actually, I receive more scrutiny from church people than I ever did when I worked in a secular line of work at Winn-Dixie or, or whatnot. So it's amazing to me uh, the experience I've had in the church, the good and bad and the ugly. And I have to say that I participated in all of that, okay? Uh, you know, I can't always say that my experience of church and what I've tried to, to be involved in the church has been positive. Some things I've done have been negative. Uh, some of the decisions I've made, I look back and think, what was I thinking? I should have never done that. Uh, and if any, uh, any pastor, staff person is honest with you, any leader is honest with you, they'll tell you that you make mistakes along the way. Uh, and the critical point of making a mistake uh, is owning up to it and being able to say, you know what, shouldn't have done that, or you know what, shouldn't have said that, or you know what, if I had to do this over again, I would redo it. doesn't mean that I have regrets about what I've done. It just means that I would tweak and do something a little bit differently. But at a point in my journey, uh, you know, I was, you know, I had, I had, you know, 18 years, 19 years of Sunday school uh, before I went to, uh, went to college. 
And the reality was, I mean, and I, when I say I went to Sunday school, I had 14 years of perfect attendance. Now, in my day, uh, in the 19, late 1970s, 1980s or whatnot, I was in one of those kind of very, very traditional churches, and we gave Sunday school pens for perfect attendance. How many of you remember doing that? Yeah, yeah, well, anyway, I had, you know, like 14, 15 years of perfect attendance, so my, my three-piece suit that I was forced to wear every Sunday, like my pens draped down to my waist, okay? It was like, I was like a four-star general when it came to, uh, came to Sunday school, and um, so when I went to college, some of you got that, when I went to college, um, I had studied scripture, uh, Jesus was the answer of everything, every question that ever been asked of me in church, and even if I didn't know the answer, all I had to do was say Jesus, and it worked. Uh, and so I went to a liberal arts school, Gardner-Webb University, great school, uh, but I realized that, that Jesus was not going to be the answer of every question in that class. And so I, I did a degree in religious studies and philosophy, uh, and that's just kind of, that's not just a study of Christianity, it's a study of all the world religions. And so uh, I really, 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 really got excited uh, about philosophy and uh, some of you uh, when you leave high school and you go to college and you take intro to philosophy some of you will love it and some of you will hate it uh, but I really ate it up the problem was that uh, something happened in that freshman year and uh, I felt like well since I'm studying scripture all the time in the classroom that why in the world would I need to do a quiet time I don't need it I mean I'm, I'm doing this six hours a day you know five days a week I need a break um, and so I kind of put my Bible aside other than studying it academically rather than doing it devotionally. Uh, and some of you who have been in seminary or whatnot or been to divinity school or graduate program, you'll know what I'm talking about when you study a text for its uh, academic purpose rather than spiritual purpose. And that, uh, that was what I would call leaving the journey and taking a tempting parking place. And what I began to realize is my life began to spiral um, you know, things that I had stood very convicted about, very strong, morally, it kind of got wishy-washy. And I just like, you know, kind of truth is relative and all these other things. I kind of put away Christianity for a season. Uh, I dabbled into some Buddhism. I dabbled into some Sikhism. And I, I, I dabbled into what I call Toddism. And that's a hodgepodge of different things that suit my needs and make me happy, okay? And the reality is that a lot of people in the local church today, while they are confessing Christians, they are practicing add your name and an ism to it. That's what you're practicing because... Listen, you like Christianity to the extent it serves your needs and does what you want and affirms your life. But if there's anything challenging, we're going to throw that out. Now, never, you know, and one of the things I would say is, you know, when I would be forced to read scripture in church, and mind you, I was on staff, okay? I was on staff at a church at this point, too. Therefore, it's possibly on staff at a church and being leading kind of in a lost sort of way. Um, and one of my least favorite books during that season of time, anybody want to guess what my least favorite book would be? Do what now? Well, the Bible, but which specific book in the Bible? It's in the New Testament. Romans. I did not like Romans. And the reason I did not like Romans is because God's wrath is burning against sinners. I don't like that. <laughs> I really didn't like that when I was paving the road flaming with sin. I mean, that's just the way it was. And so, you know, the reality is for a lot of people, 
is that when we are caught in the mix of Scripture and we're caught in the mix of following Jesus, our lives don't often add up. And it reached a point where I thought, you know what, I've got, I've got to get back in touch. I could tell, I could physically, emotionally, spiritually tell that I had left Christ on the road and I had ventured on my own way. Uh, and I felt alone, I felt depressed, I felt distracted, I felt completely detached. And here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, again, I'm on staff at a church. I'm working at a church. I'm at church every time the doors are open, and this is still my experience. So, you know, I know what it's like to be an attendee at a church. I know what it's like to be on staff at a church and be completely disconnected from the life source that's given through the scripture, namely the person of Christ. And so in this journey, it reached a point where, you know, I, something's got to give. And so I, I clearly went, because I, I, in, the, in the fall of 1997, I had the opportunity to go uh, to Israel for a 10-day trip. And so I, I went to Israel, and I thought, this will be my spiritual journey. This will kind of renew. I'll be able to reconnect and whatnot. So I stood where Jesus stood. I walked where Jesus walked. I stood at Capernaum at the very site where he would have taught from the very, basically, the, the pillar that he was spoken from. And I have never been so alone in my life. And one of the spiritual connections that I gained from that trip is, listen, you can be in proximity, you can be close to the things of the Christian faith and still be eons away from the experience. You could be close to Jesus, and being close to Him doesn't mean that you know Him. Uh, being close to Jesus doesn't mean that you are pursuing Him. Being close to Jesus doesn't mean that you are following Him. So I came off that trip, came back home, and my parents, I mean, there's so much of a spiritual issue in my life. My parents pulled me aside. Parents, you should do this. My parents pulled me aside and said, what's wrong with you? I mean, what's going on? And I began to weep. And I said, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I just, I, just, I just know that I am not the person that I used to be. And my father said to me, if you're not the person that you used to be, then who has changed? You or God? A profound question with greater implications for my life because the reality is I'm the one that had changed. And so over a period in this journey, I went, how many of you have ever been to Kings Mountain? Okay, I went to Kings Mountain. There's some nature trails there and there is a beautiful scenic place there. I can't tell you where it is, but it's along the trail. A huge rock that overlooks a great valley and in the, in the background, you can see the city of Charlotte in the background and there's nothing for miles. You, I mean, it's so... Serene, and I'm like, God, where are you? I cried out to God, and I said, where are you? I don't feel you anymore. I don't experience you anymore. I don't sense that you're real anymore. Where are you? And there was this nothingness until the Holy Spirit. And see, the Holy Spirit lives in every single believer, even those believers who choose to go on their own path and their own journey and basically kick God, God to a curb for a season. The Holy Spirit impressed upon me and says, look around you. I'm everywhere. 
Look around you. Look at the trees. Look at the mountains. Look at the rocks. Look at all that I've given. Look at all I've created. And you dare say that I'm not around. It was a spiritual moment for me. A spiritual moment that led to some changes. And here's the thing. No one likes change, but if you want to be different, if you're on a journey that's not leading to good things, and listen, you know if you're on a journey that's not leading to good things. You know, you know, you know if you're on that kind of journey. In order to be on the right journey, it's going to require you and me to make necessary changes. The disciples by and large, were not present at the crucifixion. They were hiding because they were fearful of what might happen to them as Jesus is being crucified. And then in Jesus, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus appears to the two believers traveling on the road to Emmaus. Now you can also find this story in Mark chapter 16. And it says now that the same, two, uh, the same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. What are they talking about? They're talking about the crucifixion. They're talking about the trial. They're talking about all the hoopla that had occurred in Jerusalem that previous week. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. What I want you to know today, whether you are close to Jesus or whether you are far away from him, whether he is carrying you or whether you don't even see him on your horizon, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is on your journey. He's somewhere on your journey. Why? Because God has created you for a spiritual strategic purpose. He doesn't create junk. He doesn't create mistakes. He has created you for a purpose. It's all about where your journey intersects him, where he intersects you, where he comes along and where you recognize him for who he is. Jesus Christ is on the journey. And the interesting thing, if you look in the passage, Jesus, as he comes alongside these disciples, he does not say, look at me. I'm Christ. Remember, here's my hands. Remember, I was crucified two days ago. No, he doesn't do that at all. I mean, you would expect the Lord who has emptied himself of his godliness, who has created the foundations of the world, who has put the sun, moon, and stars in space, when he is resurrected in the power of the Most High God, you know, I expect him to walk on stage and bam, show you how amazing he is. But he just happens to join two disciples on a road seven miles outside the city of Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus, and he strikes up conversation with them. He does not force himself upon them. He does not overstay his welcome. And guess what? He won't force himself upon you, nor will he overstay his welcome with you. I've often said my wife, uh, who accepted Christ, had a more dramatic testimony than me. She accepted Christ in 1991. On, uh, she went to a youth camp, centrifuge. She was on a wreck field. She can tell this story better than than I can, but she was on the wreck field and um, she was going through a difficult time that week and uh, her rec or her Bible study leader, rec leader came up to her and said, uh, you know, I can see that you're struggling and she says, and, he, and he, she, said to her, she said to her, have you ever considered that you might not be a follower of Christ, that you might not be a Christian? And she said, well, I go to church every Sunday. Well, that's not what being a Christian is. Have you ever accepted Christ? And she took a ping pong ball out of the rec field, uh, uh, you know, games or whatnot, and she placed the ping pong ball in Tabby's hand, 
And she says, that ping pong ball is grace. That ping pong ball is salvation. Now, God has placed this in your hand. It's yours for the taking. He's not going to force you to close your hand around it. He's not going to force you to take it. But it's a free gift with no strings attached. What are you going to do? See, God was on her journey. And many of us today, that's what the image I want to portray to you is that there is a ping pong ball of salvation in your hand today. What are you going to do with the salvation that's been given by the Lordship of Christ? We celebrate Easter two weeks ago. Uh, we were so happy with Easter. So, you know, it was wonderful. We had a huge crowd here. We, we, love, we love Easter bunnies and Easter eggs and everything in between. We love Jesus. We love the cross. We love decorating for Easter. We love the color scheme. We like the spring. We like the flowers. We like the Easter lilies. We like all these things. But don't miss the point of what Easter is. It is the power of God over the wrath of death and sin on a cross. Jesus wins. Love wins. Because what God demonstrates on the cross is his immeasurable, unconditional love for us. We didn't do anything to earn it. He gave everything for it. He gave of himself. He gave his one and only son so that you and I could have eternity in heaven with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is on our journey. He is not going to force a relationship with you. He is not going to overstay his welcome because to force you to love him would not be love. You can't force people to love you. You can't force people to follow you and respect you. Respect is earned. And so Jesus comes today and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And Matthew, uh, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me for my, or take my yoke upon you, for my uh, yoke is easy and my burden is light. He gives a free gift today. For the journey. It's the best gift that you will ever, ever receive. Do you recognize that Jesus is on our journey? The other thing I want you to notice as Jesus, as they're walking along, Jesus asked them in verse 17, What are you discussing together as you walk along? Jesus is curious. <laughs> and they stood there, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor, Jerusalem? Uh, I mean, a, a modern way of doing it, if we were watching a Hollywood version of this, would be, what is up with that man? Are you, are you an idiot? I, I mean, where have you been for the last three days? Do you not understand that the Most High God has been crucified? We thought that he was going to lead a, a revolt. We thought that he was going to turn the world upside down. But he died on a cross and they stuck him in a tomb. And there's these women that say that he's alive. And some people went and sure enough he's not there. But we've not seen him. That's what happens in the story. Jesus said to them in verse 25, How foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus basically gives what I call Cliff Notes version of the gospel. He runs these disciples through everything that's gone on from Old Testament prophecy to New Testament reality. And he shares with them how everything is pointing, everything's got the neon sign on Jesus, 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 Jesus. Power over death, resurrection, most high God, action in history, change your life. That's what Jesus does. And they still don't recognize him. 
So then Jesus plans not to go with them any more. He's going to go a bit farther as they get off the road. He doesn't overstay his welcome. He doesn't, listen, Jesus doesn't assume by this passage that you and I are going to invite him in. He doesn't make that assumption. He's not an arrogant leader who believes just because he's entered the room that people are going to follow him. Jesus is the type that enters the room, heals the sick, lifts up the brokenhearted, and listen, he has necessarily no expectation for us to do anything. Why? Because he's God. And his fulfillment is not based on our response. His fulfillment is to do the will of the Father who has sent him. And so he has planned to go a little farther on the road, and they beg him, no, 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 no. You stay with us. It's getting evening. Stay with us. And so he joins them for dinner. And then they only recognize him when he takes the bread and he breaks it. Aha! We've seen this before. I think we saw this on Thursday evening. How nice. And they recognize Jesus for who he is. But in the moment that they recognize him, what happens to Jesus? He leaves them. Question for us this morning. Will we recognize when Jesus joins our journey? It's one thing to have Christ join our journey. It's another thing to recognize him for who he is. It's one thing to say that you're a follower of Jesus. It's a quite another thing to know where you're going and really understand who you're following. Let me illustrate it this way. When I was called in the ministry, it was a dramatic experience for me. As I've shared many times, I never planned this life. This is not the life that I planned for myself. It is not the life that I wanted for myself, but it is the life that I absolutely needed in Him. This calling of God on my life to become a pastor, to preach, to teach, uh, again, wasn't what I planned. Uh, I planned to be in Washington representing some of you. Uh, maybe not in the state of Tennessee, but that was my plans. Uh, God had different plans, and he altered my ultimate plan. But I remember when I was in Louisiana, a church in South Carolina had contacted me. Some of you know this story. Um, and contacted me in, in 2007. And I'm very, you know, before I make a transition... I want to make sure that God's in it. Because if God's not in it, I don't want it, regardless of how good and great it sounds. Um, and so uh, I had been in contact with, uh, with the church in South Carolina where I ended up serving uh, in the summer of 2007. And they, they called me or they emailed me and said, you know, we'd be interested in talking to you. And I said, I'm not interested in talking to you. I'm perfectly happy where I am. I'm not looking for a transition at this time. Uh, and I thought that would end the conversation. And they kept on and kept on. And so, you know, about week three when I'm getting a phone call, I say to them, I don't think you understand. I'm not interested. I don't want to come to your church. I have no desire to move to the state of South Carolina. Uh, you know, it's hot. I mean, I know it's hot in Louisiana, but we even have great food in Louisiana. You don't have great food in South Carolina. I said, so, you know, uh, so, you know, I, I kind of pushed them off. And then they sent me a questionnaire. I hate questionnaires. Uh, question number one, how much money do you want to make? Yeah, that's the question on the, on the sheet. Uh, and then it was full of other questions that I could tell. The church had been through drama because you can tell, listen, you can tell a lot what's happened to the church by the questions they ask. And so I responded to their eight questions and citing that 
question one about how much I needed to make was an inappropriate question to stance and that they really need to do their homework and check up on a normal routine pastoral search committee handbook which would guide them in the process so that they would not be offensive to the people that they interview. Along with that, I sent 87 questions for them to answer, mind you, not yes-no questions. And I said, these questions will provide you kind of a background to know this is what a potential candidate would want to know from you. Because while you're interviewing your candidate, your candidate is interviewing you. And I thought, gosh, with the email, Tabby read it, she goes, wow, that was kind of cocky and not humble. And I said, I didn't want to be humble, and I kind of wanted to be arrogant because I don't want to go to South Carolina. So I sent it thinking I wouldn't hear back from them, and I didn't. Yes! Awesome. So December of 2007, I get a phone call. Yeah, do you have a DVD? No, I don't have a DVD. I don't have a DVD. I've, to I've told you I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Uh, I said, but you know what? I'll tell you what. You're in South Carolina. I'm going to be speaking in Charlotte in March. I said, uh, if you, uh, you know, I'm going to be speaking at a, at a conference venue. I said, if you're interested in hearing me speak, I said, you can join the conference and come and hear me. And then I'll be more than happy to meet with your committee to kind of guide you in this process. Because obviously you don't know what you're doing, which sounds really harsh, by the way. And so uh, I, wasn't, was I, I wasn't that bad with you all. I was. But Be Becky, was I like, Becky, was I like this with you guys? Yeah, no, no. Um, and so um, I come to help them interview on that Friday. And at the end of our meeting, they said, well, we're finished. What do you mean we're finished? Oh, we want you to be the new pastor. And I said, that's not going to happen. I'm like, that's not going to happen. I said, unless God writes it on a wall, I will not come to serve as your pastor. Be careful what you say. So uh, my wife and I, along with a couple from Louisiana, were traveling in uh, London and Paris at the time, or leaving that following week. And so we're, we've gone, and we're on the travel tour. We've gone to Windsor Castle outside of London. And we, uh, we went to this restaurant. I remember it was the Churchill Pub, okay? And so that's where the tour bus stopped. And they were serving liver and onions for 40 American dollars a person, okay? If I spend 40 American dollars, we're not eating liver, I can assure you, okay? And so I said to Tabby, I said, I'm not eating liver and onions for 40 bucks. I mean, I'm not even going to give 10 for liver and onions. I said, so let's, let's just walk down a little service station, get a ham sandwich and whatnot. So the couple went along with us. And so obviously we finished our meal before the tour bus did. We come back. Of course, the tour bus is locked. So we have to go into this pub uh, and sit down and wait in a little waiting area for the rest of the, the tour people to get done with their meal. And as we entered the pub... On the right side of the wall, I, I look at Tabby's face, and it's like she loses all color. And she points to the wall, and it has the name of the church, San Susi. How odd is that? San Susi on the wall. And I went, oh my heavens. I served at San Susi for five and a half years. Now... Here's the thing I want to share with you. Some look at that story and they say, that's just, ah, that's just coincidence. There's no such thing as coincidence in the journey. When you and I are following the Lord and we're seeking his will, coincidence is merely God working behind the scenes without offering necessarily the dramatic fireworks that we're wanting to see. The question is, when God is at work, are you and I 
going to recognize him on our journey. Because, listen, there's nothing unique about a minister accepting a call to a church versus the layperson answering the call of God on his or her life. There's not, I mean, you know, we, we, tend to take, we tend to take vocational ministry and we say, oh, well, pastors and teachers and staff people, they're on a different playing field than lay people. No, we're really not. God deals with us in the same way that he desires to deal with all people. That is that we answer God's call on our lives, that we pursue him and we recognize him when he is at work. And we join him in what he's doing. So many of us are praying for God to move in certain ways. Some of us are praying and seeking that God would move here or here. And you notice that who's getting to decide where he's moving? We do. That's not the way God operates. God doesn't need us to point out needs. God abundantly knows needs that we cannot even see. And so rather than praying that God would move in a certain realm or a certain location or with a certain people, I'm just going to suggest, as wise people have suggested long before me, that we not try to ask God to move where we want him to, that we join God in the journey where he's already moving. Join God where he's moving. If he's moving in somewhere, join with him. So the question and decision today for us is, are you aware that Christ is on your journey? And then far more important, do you recognize him for who he is? Do you understand that he joins your journey, but do you, do you recognize him on the journey? Can you say this morning that your life is centered in his will? Listen, to be outside of the will of God for the follower of Jesus is to be in hell. I want you to hear that. To be outside the will of God for a follower of Jesus is to be in hell. I have been outside the will of God in my life and in my ministry before. It is hell. God did not come. Jesus did not, was not resurrected on the cross to have you and me live in hell. Jesus was resurrected for you and for me so that he could flourish through us and we could have ever exceeding joy. So whether you have just started the journey, whether you have stopped at a tempting parking place along a welcome center along the side, whether you are running up towards that mountaintop experience, whether you're on the peak and nothing can get better, or whether you're on the, on, the, on the decline and you're heading into the valley, or whether you plateaued, listen, Jesus is with you every step of the way. Do you recognize him? If this morning you say, Todd, I don't know where I am on the journey, but I don't feel good about it. I don't know whether I'm on a decline. I don't know whether I've plateaued. I just don't feel like Christ is with me. First question I'm going to ask you is, do you know that 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 you're a follower of Jesus? And the second question I'm going to ask you is, do you know that you know that you know that you are centered in his will? Because if you're not centered in his will and you're experiencing hell, it's exactly what you should be experiencing. Are you in his will? Have you committed your life to him? The ping pong ball is in your hand. What decision are you going to make? 
He's not going to overstay his welcome. He's not going to force himself. But when he reveals himself and you and I recognize who he is, he is the creator of the universe. He is our Savior, our Lord, who emptied and became everything for us, who took upon him every sin of the world so that you, can I, you and I could live in eternity forever with him and through him. Do you know that you know that you know that his grace not only has the potential to be sufficient for you, but do you know that you know that you know this morning that his grace is sufficient for you in this time and in this space? May he move in a mighty way. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you're here this morning and say, you know what, I really want to be more connected to the body of Christ here at First Baptist, maybe you're here this morning and say, God, I just, I don't feel like I'm centered in your will. I feel like I'm all around it. I feel like I'm a good person. I feel like I'm doing good things. That's not what I'm asking, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what he's, he's not asking you to be a good person. He's not asking you to look apart. He's asking you to be a transformed follower of his son, Jesus Christ. Be centered in his will. It's not about being good. It's not about looking apart. It's about being the person that he has created you to be, to bloom where he's planted you. Can you say that this morning as we close, as we respond, and as we pray together? Father, we thank you for our time together. Today, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for joining our journey despite where we are and despite where we've been. Father, we pray that today during this invitation, as we sing, as we respond to amazing grace, that we will respond to your amazing grace, the amazing truth of what you've done and what you have the potential to do. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that needs to respond to you and says, I want to accept Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. If there's someone else here this morning that says, you know, I know, I know that I am not centered in God's will today. Would you, Lord, I just want you to come and, Father, restructure me, restructure my life. Help me to know what changes I personally need to make to be in your will, to be under the shadow of your power. Father, as we respond, may we be faithful. May the Holy Spirit guide us in our decisions. And as we stand and sing, may they not just be words that are spoken or sung. May it be a testimony to our purpose and our affection and our obedience to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing, this altar's open. If you need to come to receive Christ, if you need to come to reconnect, to rekindle the fire that's within you, if you need to come and recommit yourself just to be reformatted, so to speak, to have His will purposed in your life, are you in the center of His will this morning? Won't you come? Won't you come?